Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to Grace Life. Would you put your hands together? Help me welcome all of our first-time guests, those of you here in the room, as well as those of you online. So glad to have you worshiping with us today. Speaking of worshiping, man, wasn't that fun? Come on, I'll tell you what, you know, we've all kind of been scattered a little bit after Christmas break. We took a, a week off kind of there on some of the services, and, and I just think y'all are hungry. You know, when the people of God are hungry for God, good things happen. Yeah, that was fun. Well, hey, guess what? I got something to preach I'm pretty excited about. Uh, you know, we've started out this, the year with a, a little series, as you can tell, simply called Give Your Life to Jesus. And our online campus pastor, Chuck Hill, kicked that off last week. And the idea behind the series is very, very simple. Uh, I think if you grew up in church like me or you've been around church, you've either heard someone say or you said it yourself. You said, I've given my life to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. And it, what that means is at some point we prayed, we asked Jesus to forgive us for our sins, to be our Lord and Savior. And so we say, I've given my life to Jesus. But did you really now? Now, let me be real clear before we go any further. I don't want anybody here doubting their salvation. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead and you've asked him to be your Savior, you are going to heaven, you are saved, you've given your life to Jesus. I don't want to take that away from anybody here. The problem for most of us, though, is once we've asked Jesus to be our Savior and we know we're going to heaven, we're like, whew, all right, I'm good now. Hey, God, I'll touch base with you if I ever have a problem, see you in heaven. And so there's a whole lot of our lives while we're on earth we kind of hold on pretty tightly to. We say we've given our lives to Jesus, but, you know, not quite all of it. You know, if we were to go around the room right now, give everybody a microphone, I, thought, I don't think it would take very long if we were to be willing to be honest to talk about something we're holding on to. Like, no, Jesus, you can't have that one. Some of you know a little part of my story. I'll start off not getting too deep. This will be nice and funny, okay? When I was 16 years old, I intended to be a surgeon. God told me when I got saved, I was actually gonna be a pastor. And I said, okay, I'm willing to go along with that one. Paycheck's a little different than what I expected. For the record, still is. Uh, you know, paycheck's not quite what I expected, but I'm sure it'll be fulfilling. I'll go along with that one. But God, one thing we're not gonna talk about is where. We're not gonna talk about where I pastor, because see, here's what you need to know about me. I grew up in South Carolina. This is where I'm from. And I had a few life goals when I was in high school. Like when I turned 18, I had a couple things I wanted to achieve, and one of them was leave South Carolina and never come back. Well, maybe for Thanksgiving and Christmas, love my parents, would be glad to come and see them, but live here? No, that was not an option. And so I started off, you know, first thing you gotta do is get out for college, right? Go to an out-of-state college, boom, check mark, got that done. Right after college, only took me four days after college graduation to be on a plane with a one-way plane ticket halfway around the world, move to another country. That'll get you out of South Carolina. I married my beautiful wife right here on the front row, everybody. She's Ramona from Romania. If you ever have a struggle with her name, that's how you do that. I married a woman from that country who had no visa to get back into this country. Thought I was safe from South Carolina. Come on, you know what I'm saying. Then later in life, I had a friend of mine came up to me. He said, hey, I was praying for you this week. And God really put this, this verse out of Acts chapter 26 on my heart for you. So I'm just going to share it with you. And I went and read it. And he's, it's, it says, I have rescued you from your people to send you to your people. <laughs> now, for those of you that are having struggles with geography here in the room today, or those of you online that don't know where we are, this is South Carolina. You see, I was willing to tell God, I will pastor, I will be a pastor if that's what you want, but, but I'm in charge of where? 
You've got to at least be good to me here, God. If I'm going to be a pastor, you know, there are, there are towns with oceans. There are towns with mountains. There are foodie towns. There are towns with a symphony. I was a music major. You know what I'm saying? I was like, okay, God, you, we've got to pick and choose between some of those. In, in case you're wondering, Columbia does not check a single one of those boxes. We don't have an ocean. We don't have mountains. If you want food, you got to go to Greenville or Charleston. God says, I'll put you in the middle. Two-hour drive, you'll be okay. It'll make you hungry on the way there. Symphony, got to drive a little over an hour to get to one of those. That's our motto here in Columbia, right in the heart of South Carolina, close to everywhere you want to be. Close to everywhere you want to be. The point, though, is we moved back here in 2004 to start this church, and uh, that was a journey my wife and I had to take in our soul. I had to actually decide, was I going to give that part of my life to Jesus? Was I going to live in the one place I told him I wouldn't live? Here's for free, not in my notes. Don't tell God what you won't do. Just That's a whole other sermon, but some of y'all, I just saved your lives right there. But I had to decide, was I going to give that to Jesus as well? Look, the reason that I put this series in January at the beginning of the year is because I have never met a person yet who says, I sure hope this year is worse than last year. Never met that person. Every single one of us always hopes when we go into a new year that, that it'll be better than last year. And it's not necessarily that January is magical. Some of us try to restart things in June or November, whatever it is, but in the new year, we're, we're all kind of trying to put some old habits behind us, kind of get started with some new things, some fresh things. Look, I cannot solve all your problems today, and I cannot promise you everything, but I can promise you one thing. If you'll give more of your lives to Jesus this year than you did last year, you will have a much better year. Y'all with me? If you can give more of your life to Jesus this year than you did last year, you will have a much better year. So the whole point of this series is to help you think through some things because it's not going to be long enough to think through everything, but to think through some things that, well, we're still holding on to, some things we haven't given to Jesus. And if through the series we can learn to let go of those things, then as you go throughout your year, hopefully when you recognize you're holding pretty tightly to some things, you'll be able to let go and give those to Jesus as well. So again, uh, our online campus pastor, as I told you, started out the series last week talking about giving our sins to Jesus. And at first, some of you probably went, oh, I've heard this before. But very quickly, he helps you understand it's not just about giving your past sins to Jesus, it's about giving your sin struggles every day to Jesus. Today, I thought I would start out with something that no one in here can say, I don't need that. I, I wanna talk about something that none of you get to get up and get coffee and say, that's not for me. I'm gonna talk about something that we all hold on to pretty tightly that, that we shouldn't be holding on to, and that is our burdens. There's nobody in here that can say that they don't have burdens in their life. Nobody in here can say, oh, I'm just living as light as a bird. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Our main passage today is actually gonna be very short, very simple, but very straightforward. Something Jesus said to us, so we're gonna be in the book of Matthew chapter 11. The good news, it'll all be on the screen right here. You can follow along there as well. And Jesus said in, Chapter 11, verse 28, he says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Would you like some rest? Are you weary, you burdened? Come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Very simple passage. Three sentences, we're gonna look at each one because each one takes us a little deeper in the application of what we're supposed to do with this. So Jesus started out in the first sentence with an invitation. Come to me 
If you're weary, if you're burdened, come to me. It wasn't a command. He's not gonna make you do it. If you wanna suffer through the rest of life, you can. But Jesus is saying, look, I've got an invitation for you. If you are weary and burdened, come to me. I'm going to give you something better. I'm gonna give you rest for your souls. He's talking about two different groups of people that he's inviting. He gives an invitation to the weary. Let's talk about the weary first. You know, I'm a Bible nerd. I'm a word nerd. So I always go and look in the original language and find out what this is actually talking about. And this word that he uses right here means that you are overused from strain and stress. You have strain and stress that makes you feel overused. Anybody here today feels a little overused and strained and stressed in the uh, human experience? That's all? Only three of you? Seriously, come on now. It's every one of us. We get tired from our way of life in this world. Look, I'm coming up on my 28th anniversary here. My wife and I, obviously, uh, been 27 years and, and just a few months away from 28. And if you've been together that long, you've learned to read each other's faces just a little bit and you know what's going on. So there's a look on my face that'll cause my wife to come to me and often she'll just look at me and say, how are you doing? You okay? And she already knows if that's the look on my face, the answer she's gonna get. And the answer she gets is, yeah, I'm good. I'm just tired. And when I tell her that, she already knows I'm not referring to my muscles. I'm not referring to my physical strength because the truth is I don't have a physically laborious job. I don't dig ditches. I don't carry packs of shingles up onto a roof in the hot sun. My job physically is, is pretty easy. If you ever come to my office, I've got a nice soft leather chair that I can sit in when I talk to you. I don't even have to turn my head to look at you. The chair swivels. I can just do this. I've got chocolate. I've got air conditioning. I've got heat. It's, it's easy. That's not the issue. But my job does come with high expectations from many people. And well, the truth is, if I were to get any three of you together, there'd be at least two different expectations from you. My job does come with heartbreaking exposure to sin. My job does come with spiritual warfare. But let's quit talking about my job. My life comes with spiritual warfare. I'm a husband and the devil hates marriages that work in the name of Jesus. I'm a father. I've got four kids that God has a plan for their lives and, and the devil has a plan to disrupt everything that God has intended for them. And, and I'm at a point in life, my youngest one is a teenager, no longer can you just say, don't touch the hot stove and just lock them in a room so they can't put their hand on the stove or something. You can't do that anymore. They're at a point where they are on their own journey for what God has called them to and all I can do is give them some good advice and get on my knees and pray. And it's exhausting. Life can simply be exhausting. Have you ever thought about how weary life in this world can make you? I mean, just think about the number of times you have to respond the way Jesus tells you to, not the way you want to. You want to say, well, bless your heart. But you can't. Nope, you have to say, oh, well, thank you for that. God bless you. It's exhausting. Seeing the effects of sinfulness in this world and, and what it does to circumstances and the people around you is exhausting. Seeing sinfulness and being tempted, having to wrestle with those desires and choose God's way, that's, that's exhausting. Having relationships with sinful people around you 
And that's every relationship you have. It's exhausting. Circumstances that are not perfect, they're not the way God intended the world to go. That is exhausting. Being opposed and attacked by the devil with every step you take, if you're a believer, that is exhausting. Standing for God in a culture that quite often doesn't even believe in the God that you are standing for. It's exhausting. So I want you to understand this idea that that we have of being weary, it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It means that you are living a life on a broken earth, surrounded by sinful people. And, and when you feel the pressure to be a good spouse, a good parent, a good student, a good child, a good boss, a good employee, a good whatever you are, it can be exhausting. And here's the reality, if you are a human that cares anything for the responsibilities that have put, been put on you and the outcome of your life, it's gonna wear you down. And you'll experience a weariness in your soul because this world is broken and the pressures that we feel are tough. And again, this is not about anything you've done wrong or anything sinful. Matter of fact, the reason Jesus gives the invitation, hey, all you who are weary, come to me. The reason he gives that invitation is because he feels it, he knows it. You see, Jesus, and this is our theological meltdown in our minds sometimes, was fully God and fully man. By that meaning he was the son of God, but he was also the son of man. And here's the reality, is the human part of him experienced what it was like for his body to get tired. His body got tired, his body got hungry, but also his soul got weary. Can you imagine what it would be like to be the son of God, only existing in perfect heaven, your only fellowship being perfection, and then you come to the earth and you're surrounded by us? Can you imagine what it's like when you are doing everything you can to teach people to live according to the ways of the kingdom, but the only thing they know are the ways of this broken world. There's a story that proves this. Story in the Bible of Jesus falling asleep in a boat in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, a little fishing boat. I want you to get a picture of this. I've, I've been to Israel a few times. I've been to the museum where they have one of these boats was preserved perfectly in the mud and... They were able to dig it out, get it, and they've got it on display now. The reason I'm telling you that is because it's a little boat. And the sides are not very high. And I've also been in a storm on the Sea of Galilee in a big boat. Praise God for that. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If Jesus was in one of those little boats in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, it's tossing and it's turning and it's going back and forth and he would have been moving. His head would have probably been banging up against the side of the boat and without a doubt, water was splashing in. He's getting soaking wet. He's being tossed around and his disciples have to wake him up. How can you sleep through that? Because you're weary. And that's why Jesus says, come to me if you're weary. Man, I know what it's like, but I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. Now, as I explain how to, to start to do this, you need to understand this is just a little something supernatural God does because it, it's not real technical. Have you ever talked to a person and at the end of talking to this person, you go, Whew, man, I just feel better just getting that off my chest. Thanks for listening. If a person can help you, imagine Jesus. So I wanna encourage you as you are weary, I was gonna say if you are weary, no, no, no. As you are weary, maybe you need to start your morning that way. Sometimes I wake up in the morning first thing feeling all the things I gotta do. Maybe as you go to bed at night, maybe as you take a lunch break. For some of you, maybe it's every hour. But you need to sit down, close your eyes and go, Jesus, I've just gotta, I've got to bring some weariness to you. And I think it's important for you to name it. 
Jesus, I, I'm weary. I've been praying for this kid, and they, I, I know that you're working in their life. I know they're struggling, but the answer is not there, and I, I'm just weary from the day after day seeing them struggle. Jesus, I'm weary for going to work and having this boss that, Jesus, I'm, y'all with me? And there really is something to just taking all this and naming it and laying it at his feet. He promises to give you rest for your souls. Now, I've got to move on, but I am going to just say one more word. It's worthy of a whole series and definitely a whole sermon. I, I, I can't do it. I'm just going to name it. Sabbath. Sabbath. God created the Sabbath for us to deal with the weariness in our lives. And if you are not Sabbathing in your life, then you are going to be weary. If you are running seven days a week with the, the weight of this world, it's going to wear you out at some point. And I grew up here in the South, so just for the fun of it, let me explain. In the South, the idea of Sabbath is you can't mow your grass. Can't do that on Sunday, right? Look, the true intention of Sabbath is not what you do or don't do on Sunday. It is setting aside the weariness, taking the weariness and, and putting it at the feet of Jesus and taking a day to not take on weariness, but to connect with God in the way that you haven't been connecting for the last six days. And what you do while you're doing that is not as important as setting aside the weariness. But we're gonna move on because that was only the first group of people Jesus invited. If you live a human life in this world, it will wear on your soul, you will become weary. Jesus invites the weary to come. But he also invites the burdened. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. It's a different word with a different meaning. It's not just words being thrown in. The burden is for some of you in the versions you're reading, it actually says heavy laden. Because the word burden simply means weighed down. It means at some point in life, you took on a weight. You got this backpack on, you're like, okay, here's the weight of going to college and doing well, I got it. And then, then at some point you add it on, here's the weight of getting married, here's the weight of, uh, of raising kids, and, and here's the, married, the, the weight of providing for my family, and, and, and here's the weight that somebody else has put on me to be good at what I'm doing, and I'm not real good at it. And at some point you find yourself like this, and you are just burdened. And you're like, time to go to church. And Jesus says, uh-uh. <laughs> you're not gonna get, make it very long and you're definitely not gonna get very far like that. So stand up if you're burdened. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. You got burdens, bring them to me. And the reality is we do have burdens. Are you burdened by success? Listen, when you go to college and you decide, I will get the corner office someday, I will become the CEO. I will. When you, you start that idea of what success means to you, it's a heavy burden. If every time you, you put something on social media, you're trying to impress others and you're looking to go, oh, does this person like it? Oh, that is a heavy burden. If you're chasing wealth, you'll figure out someday no amount is ever enough. That is a heavy burden. If you're trying to control tomorrow's circumstances and outcome and you're worrying all the time, that is a heavy burden. Jesus says, come to me if you're burdened. Look, the point today is very, very simple. Everybody here is weary and burdened. And that means there's a part of our lives we haven't given to Jesus. So I wanna help you do that. I wish it were as easy to do as it is to say. I don't know that I can make it that easy, but I am gonna try to at least make it easy enough for you to grasp it. Is that okay, everybody? And that leads us to the next sentence because Jesus begins to tell us how to do this. He says, take my yoke upon you. 
I want you to catch a detail here. Look at the screen and notice that the underline breaks because those are not four words with one point. Those are four words, two points. Take my yoke on you. Take my yoke. Jesus has a yoke. We're gonna learn what that is in a minute. Upon you. And then learn from me. Learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. This idea of taking Jesus's yoke upon you, I would imagine that many of you, because we are here in the South, we're in the Bible Belt, many of you grew up going to church. And if you did, you've heard a sermon on this. I grew up hearing many sermons on this idea of being yoked with Jesus. And the problem is a lot of us, if you'll allow me, I'm gonna preach a, a very different perspective on it from what I've ever heard today. And, and when this sermon is over, you can decide which one you want to go with. But, but will you allow me? You have to, I've got the microphone. All right, back to the point. You see, in English, the word yoke is most often referred to, and we know it from what farmers have used it for over the last couple hundred years. It is most often referred to a beam that connects two animals together, two oxen or two horses or two donkeys, so that they can pull the weight together of something. And so a lot of times you've heard the sermon that says you are going all about life, all on your own, and you're carrying all this junk, and it is such a heavy burden on you that you need to get Jesus to come over and be yoked with you and to help you with life. You need to stop doing life alone. And I will say amen to don't do life alone. You do need Jesus. But I'm not going to say amen to the rest of it because Jesus never said, let me help you with your burden and your cart full of junk. The truth is when most of us turn around and we look at this cart full of burdens we're carrying, it looks like the Beverly Hillbillies truck. Young people, y'all can Google it. You'll figure it out. But we've got a cart back here that is piled so full of junk and you think that Jesus wants to come along and say, let me help you with your crap for the rest of your life? Uh-uh. He didn't say, let me help you with your yoke. He said, take my yoke. Take my yoke. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wait a minute, Jesus, you mean you're gonna give us a burden? Yes, I am. But it's not the ones you got on the cart right now. No, 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 we're gonna get rid of all of those. And I got something else for you, but we're gonna come back to that part in just a minute. What we're gonna talk about right now is this, this problem we have, this picture we have. We've got our Beverly Hillbillies cart and we've got our yoke and we've got a picture. Jesus needs to come over and help us drag this mess. New picture, Ready? Walk away from that cart and come over here and you take the yoke, which by the way, not in English, but in the original word in the Bible could equally mean any harness that you're attached to to carry any burden. It doesn't have to be two oxen. It can be just you. Jesus says, take my yoke. It's attached to a cart. We need to get a different picture. Don't ask Jesus to come help you carry your messed up Beverly Hillbillies cart. Leave that behind. Step over here, take the yoke Jesus has, carrying the burden that he's got on his cart. Like I said, we're gonna come back to that. So what are we gonna do right now? Well, if you'll forgive me, I don't mean to oversimplify and I hope I won't. But I always want my messages to be very practical and I wanna help you right where you are today. So as I think about the burdens on our carts, I've been a pastor long enough, I've sat with a lot of people, I've spent time in my office and I believe that most every burden on our cart back there, you could have 100 boxes, but most of them have the same type of label. Because at the end of the day, most every burden we're carrying on our cart comes down to one of two issues in our lives. And I wanna, I wanna call them out. I wanna explain how we got here and then see if we can unload our cart. Y'all with me? And before I tell you those two, I'm gonna give a real quick disclaimer. 
the biggest burden that all of humanity faces is the burden of sin and guilt. This is what we talked about. Pastor Chuck explained that last week, so I'm not going to preach that one right now. But I am going to come back to it at the very end. If you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you have not dealt with the burden of sin and guilt, I'm going to talk to you before we're done. All right, everybody with me? But I want to talk to you about the two other burdens that are weighing us down more than anything else, the stuff that's on your cart. And the first one is the burden to get affirmation, affection, and approval. The burden to get affirmation, affection, and approval. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, again, because I don't think the Christian life should be complicated, so sometimes I talk about things more than once. This is one burden to meet the core needs of our soul. These are three core needs in our soul, but you need to understand something. It's how God made us. We're not wrong to need these things. The burden is how we go about them sometimes. Matter of fact, proof that this is how God made us is this is actually the very thing the Father spoke from heaven to his son Jesus twice, both at the beginning of his ministry and at the end. Matthew 3 gives us a picture. It says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Affirmation. Your identity is in being my son. You don't need any identity ever above that. Nothing will ever measure up. Whom I love, you're loved by me. I promise you there's no human that will ever love as unconditionally as me. With him, I am well pleased. He has done well. And you know what's funny is when, when the father said this this time, the first time, Jesus hadn't done anything. He was just starting his ministry. All he had done is live as the son of God upon the earth as his human body got older. God was pleased. See, here's the reality. We all need, it's a core need of the soul, we all need affirmation, affection, and approval. Good news, God gives it freely. You don't have to do anything to get affirmation, affection, and approval from the Father in heaven. The problem is we don't get these from the Father in heaven. Our problem is we try to get these from everyone but the Father, and that becomes one of the largest burdens on our cart. You see, when we're looking at social media trying to figure out, did this person like it? Did I get enough likes? That's all about trying to get approval. Someone saying, oh, look at you. Look at you. That was great. Look at how you're dressed. I approve of that. Oh, look at that vacation you took your kids on. Oh, I approve of that. Oh, wow, look at you. You are it. Chasing fame or success is all about affirmation. Come on, look what you have done. Corner office, the stripes or the bars or whatever it is you're chasing. Relationships, every human relationship is an attempt to get affection and the problem is every relationship is broken because it's including a sinner. And so every unfulfilling relationship only leads to a more dysfunctional relationship as we continue to do absolutely anything we can to get the affection we never got. I need you to hear this. We are chasing affirmation, affection, and approval in all the wrong ways. That's why we need to pay attention when Jesus said, learn from me, because Jesus didn't get these from people. Jesus said, this is out of John 2, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew they were crazy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing. Because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. I need you to hear this. Affirmation, affection, and approval 
is a burden we put on others to give and a burden we put on ourselves to get. And it is crushing us from both sides and it's a burden that will go unmet. Are you with me? Look, let me give you a picture. If my wife says to me, honey, I love you, that will make our relationship more intimate. If my wife says, you're, a, you're my husband and I'm glad for that, it'll make our relationship more fulfilling. If my wife says, you're a good husband and a good father, it will make our relationship more rewarding. But if I need to hear any of that from her to be whole in my being, I'm gonna put a burden on her she can never meet. And our relationship will die under that pressure. And I'm gonna save a lot of you a whole lot of marriage counseling right now. One of you, if not both of you, is putting that burden upon your spouse and it's crushing you. You see, here's the reality. We need human relationships. Don't misunderstand that. We are made for community. My wife can put the icing on the cake, but the cake has to come from God without a piece missing. Are y'all following this? You need human relationships. Cakes are better with icing. I usually eat the icing first. Are y'all with me? But you can't do without the cake. See, it kind of works like this. All of us, we've got a tank that needs to be filled with affirmation, affection, and approval, but that tank has so many holes in it as people pour in stuff, it just drains right back out the bottom. But God's cake clogs it all up. And you feel whole. And you feel complete in God. You know he loves you. You know he's called you. My son, my daughter. You don't need the rest. Look, the reality is, some of you come to me and say, Pastor, I loved your sermon today. I don't need it. I, I'm not trying to be crass. I want you to follow this for a minute. If you do want to come and tell me that, that encourages me. If you come and tell me that you hated my sermon, that discourages me and I'll take that to Jesus. But I'm just preaching God's word. I am a son of God. He loves me. And if I preach his word accurately and he says, well done, Jimmy, then that's the cake. You see, the last thing you ever want is to be in a church where the pastor needs the people to be whole. So don't get offended when I say that I don't wake up every day hoping to make you happy. I, I, you should be scared if the pastor wakes up to make you happy. I'm not trying to offend you either. I hope you are getting this. I hope you're following me. Jesus said, learn from me. Here's what Jesus said. My father calls me his son. King of Israel, that little thing y'all want me to do? Nah, sorry. Not a better title than son of God. My father loves me. Well, I know some of y'all like me and you follow me, but half of y'all quit last week when I said something, so I ain't putting too much stock in y'all's opinion. My father said, well done. I don't really care the Pharisees are trying to kill me. That's what we need is to be able to go to work and to stop worrying about whether or not our boss liked what we did on Friday because if he liked what we did, we're more complete. And if he didn't like what we did, now we're gonna cry. If you can become whole in who you are, everything in your life changes. When your family says that's the worst meal you've ever cooked, you can go, well, you get to cook tomorrow. But I'm good. I feel real good. Instead of crying and running off into the kitchen. If your teenagers act stupid on vacation, which they will, at least once, and instead of going, why do I bring you all on vacation? Why do I spend all this money? You just go, well, you know, they're having their teenage moment. I know I'm still a good father because my father told me I was. 
See, your life will change when you get this burden met by the Father. And you let everybody else put icing on the cake, but the cake's gotta come from him. We gotta move on because although that may be many boxes on your cart, there are quite a few other boxes that fit into the second burden, and it is the burden of worry. The burden of worry. The truth is worry is about control. Correction. Worry is about the lack of control. We all want to control the outcome of a situation. We want to control our circumstances. At some point, we eventually figure out we have little or no control, so we worry. Why? Thanks for asking. Because we don't trust God. Now, I know that's an answer you didn't want. Sometimes my job is easy. The answer to that question is real easy. Why do I worry? Because you don't trust God. I worry. It's because I don't trust God. You see, here's what the Bible promises us. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, all things, y'all say that with me, all things, in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Look, if you are a professed Satanist, you may not be able to claim this verse. I'm just gonna be honest. But if here today you are a child of God who knows that Jesus died for you and you have given your life to him, then you know that in all things, God causes this to work for good. No, the Bible did not say all things would be fun. No, that verse did not say all things would go the way you would choose. No, that verse did not say all things would be without pain. Just said that all things will work for the good. God is working. Not just that things work out, it's not karma. God will work all things for good for you. And again, learn from Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Like, do you understand? Daddy, Daddy, I gotta go to the cross here. Hey, if there's any other way, he prayed this the night before. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. I don't wanna do this. Because my human body is going to feel the greatest pain that humanity has ever come up with. The most painful way to kill a person is what they do on the cross, crucifixion. I don't want to go through that if there's any other way. But Jesus went and died on the cross. Jesus says, learn from me. You may go through a cross, but you will be raised up on the other side. Things may not go the way you want, but it gets better on the third day. You see, We've got this idea we can't trust God because we may go through something that is incredibly difficult. It may include a death. It may include a pain. It may include a trial. And when you are determined that those are gonna work out a certain way, you will worry your life away. Jesus says, I, I never carried the burden of worry on my cart. It's not one I give you. I trusted my father. I asked him if there was a way. He said, there's no other way. So I went to the cross but he brought me out of the grave. Then he seated me at his right hand and gave me the name above every other name. It's amazing what will happen if you just trust God through the darkest moments. Stop trying to wish him away. Stop worrying yourself to an early grave. Just learn from me. 
not quite done yet. It's Jesus. Jesus told us about his cart over here in his last sentence. He said, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. That means it's, it's custom leather. Probably got the little air conditioned thing to go around the neck. It's so soft you won't even feel it. Be like, oh, I could carry this thing my whole life. Jesus is like, yep, sure could. It's not like that thing you've been dragging around. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's the burden? Jesus, what's on that cart? He told us the answer because some religious leaders came to him at one point. They were, they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to trick him. The truth is they were trying to arrest him. And so they came to him and they asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We're gonna put you on record. You've been preaching some pretty nice stories, some pretty good things. We haven't figured out quite how to put you in jail just yet. But I tell you what, we're gonna get you to sum up everything we teach in one sentence. We're pretty sure we're gonna trip you up on this one. We got you. And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oh, and by the way, you can't stop there because there's a second that's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind is not really meant to break that down and to overanalyze. It's meant to summarize, love the Lord your God with all your being. Don't leave any part out. With all your being. So the burden that's on Jesus' cart, the, when we take this burden off of our cart and, and all of that affirmation, affection, and approval burden, all of that worry burden, we walk away and we come over here and we get the burden that's pulling Jesus' cart. We look back and the only thing on that cart is to love God with all our being and to love people as ourselves. And this is important. Let me connect the dots for you because if we love God with all of our being, then we'll trust him. No more burden of worry. If we love God with all of our being, we'll obey him. No more burden of sin and guilt. If we love God with all of our being, we're gonna live to hear well done, good and faithful. Servant from him alone, nobody else. Burden of affirmation, affection and approval gone. So what about the whole love people thing? Doesn't seem like they contribute much to the process. Exactly. Some of y'all need to hear this more than anything else I've said, listen. The burden is to love them. The burden is not for their response. That's one of the heaviest burdens on your cart. You feel like you did the right thing, but they didn't respond and now you are torn up inside. No, 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 you, you don't carry the burden of their response. Jesus came and he loved people to the point of the cross. And yet some of them hated him. Jesus loved them to the point of the cross, and yet it was some of them nailing him to the cross. That was not his problem. Your burden that you need to lay down is being responsible for how the humans around you respond to you. Your burden is to love people the way God would call you to love people. Love them. But if you think you can make every human in this world happy, you think you can get the approval you want from every human won't happen if you think you can get every person to say great job I agree with your ideas won't happen your burden is not their response I just set some of you free if you can get that into your soul you've just been set free your burden is not the response of the humans in your life your burden is to love them 
love them as you would yourself. I want to put this in words you'll remember when you walk out the room. I've said a lot. I'm going to boil it down to four words. One burden, one audience. One burden, one audience. Y'all say that with me. One burden, one audience. See, the one burden is to love God with all your being and to love others as yourself. And the one audience, him. If he says, you, you, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you. I sent my son to die on the cross for you. You can never doubt my love. I'm pleased with you. If you can live to only hear those words, you'll set all the humans in your life free. If you can live knowing the only thing you need to do to hear those words is to love him with all that you have within you and to love every other person as you would yourself. You just offloaded that cart. You're gonna go through life feeling rest for your soul. So we're gonna close today by making this very practical. As Chuck said in part one, you, you won't be able to just give your sin nature to Jesus one time. It's gonna, it's gonna be there tomorrow morning when you wake up, a whole new thing you gotta do this daily. If you manage to give every burden you have ever felt and experienced in your life to Jesus right this minute, <laughs> there'll be some when you wake up. It's gonna be a daily thing. But why don't we start now? God promises to meet you in this. Actually, Psalm 55 says, give your burdens to the Lord. He'll take care of you. So let's begin to do that right now. I'm gonna pray for you and I'm just asking every one of you here, would you name the number one burden in your life? You don't have to do it out loud, just to you and, you and God. What is the number one burden weighing you down? Ready? God, we come before you right now to lay down this burden. Every single one of us, we're imagining it, we name it, and we put it before you. If this is something you never intended us to carry, then God, we say, Forgive us for carrying a burden that you never put on our cart. God, would you set us free from the pressure we feel to carry a burden of the world? God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In this day, we declare you are good. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those. I said well, I would come back to you later. See, if you have never made Jesus your king, you are still struggling with the burden of sin and guilt. You see, our God is perfectly holy and we are not. We've all had either a thought or said something or done something that was not perfectly holy. The Bible calls that sin. It separated us from God. But the good news is God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life so that when he died on the cross, he died in your place. Because he was perfect, when his body was broken and his blood would shed, was shed, he could pay for your sins because he had none of his own. He provides forgiveness. And then the same power that raised him from the dead offers you and me eternal life. We call it the free gift of salvation. We say we're giving our lives to Jesus. But if you've never done that, I wanna help you do that right now so that you can lay that burden at his feet. Simply wherever you are, pray and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I give my life to you. 
I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?